0: Miranda jr has had a long and successful career as a political consultant and community activist. But these days he may be best known as the father of Lin Manuel Miranda, the creator and star of Hamilton. A new HBO documentary called Siempre Luis, in English, always Luis, uh, looks at the career and family life of Mr. Miranda, his relationship with his famous son, and even explains the inspiration behind the groundbreaking musical. I'm very pleased to welcome Luis A. E. Miranda Jr. to our show now, along with the documentary's director, John James. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Uh, Luis. Your very impressive resume includes being an advisor to politicians like Ed Koch, Hillary Clinton, Chuck Schumer, serving in New York City government as chairman of the Health and Hospitals Corporation and other posts, being the founder of a political consulting firm and the nonprofit Hispanic Federation. So does it bother or amuse you that people now see you mainly as Lynn manuels father?
1: Not at all. It's actually, uh, I I believe uh, that every father's dream and every mother's dream is that their kids do way better than them. So we have achieved that. And we have achieved them to the nth degree because we even lost our names in the process.
0: You lost your names?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're now Lee manuels father and Le manuels mother.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, a viewer gets the feeling from the, the film that raising your family has been as important to you as your impressive career.
1: Uh, it, it, it is. Uh, and I have always uh, said that uh, uh, for me, that's sort of the most important job uh, that you could ever have, you will always be a dad. Uh, mm-hmm. And I have taken that job very serious because jobs can change, even wife can change. In my case, I haven't, uh, but even that can happen. But being a dad, it's a constant. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I, I take it very seriously. Uh, I have now done it for a very, very long time and have enjoyed every minute of it.
0: How many kids?
1: I I have my daughter, uh, who is 46, Limanuel, who is 40. I have a 19-year-old great-nephew who I became his legal guardian when he was born. And he's 19. He's a sophomore in college.
0: And, yeah, he's also in the film. John, this is your first feature film. Why did you choose Luis to be your subject?
2: Well, we've, we've done a, a good deal of press over the last couple of months, and I've been thinking more and more about that. I think it's because I never met anyone who worked as hard as Luis works. You know, I, you know where, where I come from, my dad's an electrician, and, uh, and I remember the analog clock that he had. Um, you'd hear the numbers turning around 4.30 in the morning when he would get up and go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I remember that. I was always sort of curious about how a man gets up and kind of tackles the day and provides for his family. Um, you know, the cold morning days when he would be working, you know, on top buildings. And then I kind of began to mimic his behavior as a scholarship kid going to Regis High School in the city. When I met Luis, you know, I was just kind of really interested in this theme of someone who could, just spend all hours of the day kind of at it, you know, at his office. We, we shared office space at a political consulting firm in town, and that's when I really got to see him up close and was just struck by his work, at work ethic. And, you know, we had, we had a shared background. Uh, my mother's from Puerto Rico. Uh, Luis, as you know from the film, is from Vega Alta. And that's, you know, not too long after we met, I asked him to follow him around with a camera just to, you know, to record what was just, a, you know, something very curious to me. And, and uh, how long ago did, that,
0: you, know, did uh, you start working on the film? And uh, did the focus of the film change as you were working on it?
2: It, it did. Uh, 2016, 2017, we started following him around. And uh, you know we didn't, we didn't know what we had. We, we enjoyed spending time with him. It was tough keeping up with his crazy, his hectic pace and his schedule. But when Hurricane Maria happens and when he decides to bring Hamilton to Puerto Rico after having a major heart attack, Things began to change. The focus of the film began to change. It, 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 it cast a wider kind of net. It was not just about Luis, but it was about his background and islands still struggling with all sorts of post-colonial issues. And Louis, using Luis as a lens into a little bit of understanding more about that culture. So certainly the focus changed from when we started in 2016, 2017 to when we wrapped in 2019
0: understandably i 'll be directing uh, most of my questions to Luis, but feel free to jump in whenever you want to add something Luis, you grew up as uh as John mentioned in Vega Alta, Puerto Rico. What kind of place is it is? Are we talking about a small town
1: uh, it's a very small town, just like Washington Heights, where I have spent now all my life in New York City uh, the difference it's you know, it, it's in Puerto Rico it has uh it was a small town when I was growing up, and uh, everyone knew each other. Uh, my mom owned the travel agency, uh, so we were always up to date uh, on who was going to Chicago or New York, which were the two places where, at that point, uh, Puerto Ricans and people from Vega Alta uh, went. Uh, my father was a manager of the credit union, uh, so he knew everyone. Uh, and when, when we started looking for a place to live, uh, my wife and I, Luz and I, were NYU students and lived in NYU housing. Uh, when we started looking for a place to live in my head, I, I wanted to get as close to where I grew up, as I could, and we we ended up in Washington Heights. We're delighted mm-hmm. because my son ended up writing a musical of the neighborhood.
0: Yeah, uh, well, actually, there were a number of Puerto Rican enclaves throughout the city. Uh, the Puerto Rican population in the part of Williamsburg where I grew up uh, in the 40s and 50s was quite sizable. I would say about one third of Eastern District High School was Puerto Rican. Uh, so. Uh, a New York City has always been a kind of a, a part of Puerto Rico. Uh,
1: it, it, it has, you know, the big Puerto Rican migration, uh, there was migration since the turn of the century. Uh, uh, but the big migration came in the late 40s and early 50s uh, when half a million Puerto Ricans left the island mostly to New York. So imagine a place that loses half a million people uh, wow. over a 10-year period. Uh, that's why places like the Lower East Side, like Williamsburg and Bushwick, East Harlem, the mm-hmm. South Bronx. When I came to New York in the early 70s, Chelsea was pretty much a Puerto Rican place. Uh All of that has changed when when I talked about Washington Heights. It's also that familiar feeling uh, where lots of people have the same ethnicity in common, and as a result, it feels like a small town.
0: Now, you were recruited, as you mentioned, by NYU for a doctoral program in clinical psychology. Was your original plan to return to Puerto Rico after you got the degree and to work as a a therapist? Like every
1: other good Puerto Rican, yes. Every Puerto Rican Uh, was coming here and going back. Uh, My uh, mission being here was to earn that degree and then uh, be back in Puerto Rico. Uh, That never happened. I met my wife, uh, got married, uh, realized that New York uh, was the place where we wanted to stay then for a while. I said, okay, so we'll retire in Puerto Rico. That's Mm -hmm. like the second stage of the myth of the return. Uh Uh, And now it's totally killed. We are not retiring in Puerto Rico. We'll continue to have fantastic times in Puerto Rico and non-fantastic times. We'll continue to work uh to do everything we can for puerto rico uh, but we're staying here
0: now how did you wind up in politics
1: uh politics was always big in my family in puerto rico uh we had uh people family members in the three main party uh Pro-statehood, they have had different names, but at the end, prostatehood, pro-commonwealth, pro-independence. Uh, so I, I grew up uh, in a family where politics uh, was important. Uh, coming to New York uh, and seeing politics a little distant, uh, I, I, I immediately got involved more in community struggles. Uh, the struggles for democratic rights uh, that people were having. And it was later uh, in the 70s, after being here for a little while, that I realized that uh, the Democratic Party uh, sort of best represented what we wanted and then got involved in partisan politics here.
0: Now, uh, I would assume most Puerto Ricans who've come here are. Uh, if they are political vote Democrats, are you surprised that Puerto Rico's governor Wanda Vasquez has endorsed President Trump's re-election campaign?
1: Uh, no, uh, the 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 Republican Democrat uh, dichotomy of Puerto Rico it's fairly new, meaning. Uh, it, it was always discussed, but it was. It's mostly the last couple of decades. I was gone when I was in Puerto Rico. They were pro-independence, pro-statehood, pro-commonwealth. There was no Democrats or Republicans. Uh, the the governor of Puerto Rico. She'll be the governor until December. She already got defeated. Uh, it's a Republican. Uh, So it's not surprising to me that she is doing what every Republican uh, in a position of power is doing. They become Trump's lapdogs and have to contort themselves to defend his madness.
0: Uh, One of your first jobs in politics was working for Ed Koch. What were you doing for him? Uh, Was it a matter of advising him on how to reach Latino and specifically Puerto Rican voters?
1: Yes, initially, uh, the Office of Hispanic Affairs, uh, that's basically what what it did. It was a liaison uh, between uh, Hispanics and the the mayor's office. I was very fortunate uh, that uh, it became much more than that uh, because President Reagan signed the amnesty law <clears throat> in '86, and uh, Mayor Koch uh, was really interested in people who have been living in the shadows. Took this opportunity uh, to to begin to legalize their situation, <clears throat> so. A lot of the activities that my office took on uh, was to get the word out there that there was a process uh, of legalization uh, that was possible, and then to work with community organizations throughout the city uh, to make sure that that happened. I then had an opportunity, there was an Asian... uh, Office and, uh, and an african American black office as well and we sort of worked together uh, in many neighborhoods where we live uh, with other uh, ethnic uh, groups uh, and 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 then the, the, the other big thing for me was that it had announced uh the plan to spend $10 billion in affordable housing uh, during his last term and it was using a lot of city property uh, to create affordable housing and it happened that a lot of that uh, city property was was in the Bronx. Uh, So I I, I got to work uh, with city agencies uh, for policies that were important to the Latino community.
0: Now, uh, I I should remind our listeners that they're listening to Leonard Lopate at large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. My guests are Luis A. Miranda, Jr., the subject of a new film uh, called Siempre Luis, which is uh, now being screened on HBO, and I'm also speaking with the director of the film, John James. And John, you have come up with uh, some pretty great archival footage of Koch and, and Louis during those years. Uh, how did you research that era in New York City?
2: Well, we have a fantastic archival producer in Emily Calhoun who really brought that era to life. And she's, uh, she's, a, she's a skilled hand and uh, she's... Uh, very talented. But on my end, I sat in the in the archives, the City Municipal Archives, one afternoon and just went through the Koch files. Um, I actually contacted a wonderful woman named Paulino Toole who set me up, and she basically you know had a desk ready for me. I showed up one morning around 9 a.m. I had a file. It said Mayor Koch, Luis A. Miranda, and I basically went through Luis's uh, career as Hispanic mm-hmm. advisor. Um, at, during the Koch years, and I read memos that the two wrote uh, to one another, and, and it was fascinating. It was a fascinating look at how two men with, you know, sizable egos, egos I would say, uh, interacted and kind of tackled work. And you know, the memos are written at all hours, covering all sorts of angles. And it's it's interesting to see the kind of evolution from when Luis starts to when he finishes. The, 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 the tasks and the asks from the mayor, they become increasingly focused on, on, on matters way beyond, I think, the role that Luis was brought in to focus on.
0: But then Luis, you went on to advise Senators Chuck Schumer, Hillary Clinton, Kirsten Gillibrand, as well as local New York City politicians. What sorts of things uh, did they want you to advise them on?
1: I, I, I was involved with them in politics Uh, not in governing, and there is a real difference uh, between politics and governing. Uh, At the end, they should help each other, Uh, but on the political side, I was working with them to introduce them uh, to Latino voters uh, and to the Latino communities and the kinds of issues that resonate and... Mm move the needle in a Latino community. Uh, Sometimes there are simple issues uh, that everyone can accept. Sometimes uh, some of your issues that you want to push forward uh, go in contraposition to what others in your community, uh, others that you represent, want, uh, and support. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's working with an elected official uh, in, in, in that education program so that when they become uh, the, the, the leaders and elected officials, it's, it's part of what they do. Uh, for some people, uh, they've done lots with the Latino community, so they, they know a lot. Uh, for others, they have done less uh, because they represented areas uh, where Latinos were not a major component of the constituencies they, they dealt with. So I, I, I always uh, sort of found it fascinating uh, to, to work uh, with, uh, with elected officials who want to be elected officials uh, and, and have these discussions uh, on the Latino community
0: was your background in psychology an asset
1: it it is uh and it was uh because you know, it, it it helps you understand.
0: served in city government with the New York City Board of Education and the Health and Hospitals Corporation on the boards of many educational and political groups. And listing all of your positions would probably take a a little too much time. But are you always looking for new challenges or did these things just come up uh, where they presented to you and you say, okay, I'll try that as well?
1: Uh, Probably the main challenge uh, was in my early 20s. Uh, I was married, uh, Le manuel was born, so I, I had two kids early on in life, uh, and I realized that clinical psychology was not my path, uh, certainly not uh, a psychoanalytic-oriented. Uh, clinical psych program that I had you take had
0: you taken patients for a while?
1: Oh yeah. Had you seen
0: patients?
1: Yeah, I saw patients. I did clerkships. I worked in places. I did testing more, hmm. uh, Wechslers and Rorschach's and Stanford Binets that I could talk not- about. Uh, but I realized <clears throat> that that was not my calling. That I, I. I I want change to happen as quickly as possible, and that's not what I was trained to do. Uh, I needed to listen and interject whenever you could move someone along. I want to interject all the time and move you along as quickly as possible so you don't tell me the same problem the following week. That made me realize, "Ah, this is probably not what I should be doing with my life. Uh, So imagine, you know, I have invested time doing that. I'm married, having two kids. I'm in the midst of my dissertation, and I realize this is not what I want to do. So quite frankly, the following decade, uh, when you look at my resume, uh, it looked like the guy who is driving around and flipping a coin and deciding on head or tails. If you make a left or you make a right, uh, and and I enjoyed those ten years uh, because I did many things in employment and education and health. And then, then I began to realize what I really wanted to do uh, with with my life, which is then when politics and government service and nonprofit begin to emerge as the way I want to spend my time.
0: We learned that your favorite film is The Unsinkable Molly Brown, not what many people would say is the greatest film of all time. Uh, what is it? A- Got that film that appeals to you. And do you think that uh, the, the musical side of all of that uh, played a role in, in uh, what happened with uh, Lin-Manuel? No, let me correct you. That,
2: that is Luis. Luis believes firmly that that is the greatest movie
0: OK.
1: Some people would say Citizen Kane,
0: which I would have thought would have appealed to you, too. But go ahead.
1: 30-second story before I answer your question. Uh, lots of my friends had heard many, many times that The Unsinkable Mala Brown, it's the best movie ever. <laughs> they have never seen it. When I turned 60, I did my birthday party at a movie theater. And before people came into the party, they had to watch The Unsinkable Brown. Mm-hmm. So it was an equalizing. If you want to dance and eat, you got to share yeah. with me my favorite movie. But Le manuel says uh, over and over uh, that he never had a shot at anything else. Uh, music, uh, it's part of a home. Uh, musicals was part of the doses that we all gave our family and our children. Uh, We will dance salsa and merengue, and we will listen uh, to Broadway tunes uh, when we were cleaning the house uh, or spending some time together. I I have hundreds of LPs uh, that I have gotten through life, never as a collection. I actually, actively listen to them. I just love Broadway show tunes. I loved them when I lived in Puerto Rico, and I didn't even know what the show tune was about. I didn't understand enough English to know the (laughs) meaning of it.
0: So I guess you weren't uh, as upset as some parents were when your son told you that he wanted to work in theater, because a lot of people would be worried that he wouldn't be able to make a living out of it.
1: Well, I had a different approach. Uh, I wanted him to be like Reuben Blades. Uh, mm-hmm. Reuben Blades have a law degree from a prestigious university. Uh, it's one of the but he's top- from Panama correct uh, one of the top artists uh, in uh, in in our community with hits spanning for decades of course I did not succeed uh, he got the music part of it and no not the legal degree uh, from from uh, a top university uh, but at the end you know I, I, I want my kids to be happy. <clears throat>
0: and, and Lin-Manuel developed his first musical in The Heights when he was a student at Wesleyan, then it went to Off-Broadway and eventually to Broadway. And um, I'm very pleased to say that I interviewed him at that time uh, because I was impressed. Uh, so uh, w- did you get involved? Uh, did you, were you selling tickets <laughs> to Latino groups, the groups that you were working with in politics? That was my job. Uh
1: huh. Uh, You know, I couldn't help with the set or with (laughs) the music, and I don't play any instrument good enough to be in the band. Uh, So my job was to sell tickets to Mm. tell the world that my son had written this fantastic musical that they needed to come and see. Uh, (laughs) I started telling you that being a dad is the most important job i have Mm. so that's what i needed to do to help my son move forward i did it with gusto and i will do it again if i have to do it all over in the heights
0: won the tony award for best musical in 2008 and then in the film we see that you enlisted the publicist ken sunshine to work on Uh, the the Tony campaign. So you approach this as a kind of a political race?
1: I do. At the end of the day, you have to convince a number of people, a particular universe of people, to select something you want. That's politics. Mm. You have to select among choices the one who's going to represent you. So you you do everything you can to do that. The rules are different and you follow the rules uh, so that you have the outcome you want.
0: You must have been pleased when he won the Tony and said, this is for Puerto Rico. Um, he then went on to write and star in Hamilton, one of the most successful musicals of all time. And uh, in the film, we learned that he based the character at least partly on you. Did it feel odd being compared to one of the founding fathers of the United States? Uh, very
1: not only art you know alexander hamilton created our financial system i am not at that level and given the fact that i'm old never going to get there i am people are uh i am humbled uh that my son says that Mm. and i believe uh, that, that what he actually means it's that he knew the entrepreneurial spirit uh, that his mom had, that I have. Because at the end of the day, we're just placeholders for immigrants who come into this country and have to work twice as hard as anybody else to make it and to make sure their family move forward. So he was, it was that drive uh, that made him say, hey, I, I know I know this dude, uh, and I, I, I can play this guy because I, I, I see him every time I go home at night.
0: <laughs> You're listening to Leonard Lopez at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live on WBAI.org. I I wanna be in the room where it happens. The room where it happens. I wanna be in the room where it happens. The room where it happens. I, I wanna be in the room where it happens. I I
2: wanna be in the room.
0: with Luis a veranda jr who is often in the room where it happened he is the subject of a new film from john james uh, that is currently stre- screening on hbo called siempre luis and uh, english always luis and uh, uh i uh i this brings us to uh the hurricane uh as part of the story When Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico in 2017, the island was devastated. Did you still have family there? In in Vega, Alta?
1: All my family. Uh, I came here to study. Uh, My family stayed in my town. Uh, My parents are now deceased, uh, but we were able to send the kids uh, to Puerto Rico uh, during the summers because my parents and my brother and my sister and now nieces and, and uh, nephew, they're, they're, they're still all uh, in Puerto Rico. And I, 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 there's a whole branch of the Miranda family uh, that moved to Florida because they're more recent uh, migrants into the United States, and sort of they, they joined that one million Puerto Ricans who are now in Florida. But yes, all, all, most of my family and all of my immediate family, it's in Puerto Rico.
0: And uh, you, did you go about uh, organizing an effort to help uh, getting food and supplies to people? Uh, Jose Andres, uh, the, the great chef, uh, seems like an almost heroic figure in this regard.
1: Uh, he is, uh, he, he uh, Jose Andres has, uh, Uh, a heart of gold, Uh, and uh, I believe uh, that Puerto Rico and the Puerto Rican uh, people, just like now many other places uh, in the world, uh, we will forever uh, be thankful uh, for the work that Jose did in Puerto Rico. Uh, When you don't have to do something, and you do it uh, nonstop. It even means more. I had to do something for Puerto Rico. Jose didn't. And he just went way beyond the call of duty.
0: Well, after the hurricane, you and Lin-Manuel decided to bring a production of Hamilton to Puerto Rico to raise money for the island. Was that because you realized that all uh, you were going to get from the Trump administration was symbolized by a few rolls of of paper towels?
1: it, 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 it was that, uh, though, we, we knew that we had to fight many fronts. Because <clears throat> at the end of the day, uh, the estimate of how to rebuild Puerto Rico was $90 billion. Huh. Wow. And only the federal government have the resources uh, to rebuild Puerto Rico. Uh, so we knew that we needed to advocate and push for policy changes uh, for an administration as awful uh, as the Trump administration continue to help Puerto Rico. But while you do that, you have to do everything you can to help. Uh, we immediately helped uh, in the recovery efforts and raised money for nonprofits uh, that were underground in Puerto Rico, helping all kinds of efforts uh, in Puerto Rico, the big island, and the two little islands that are municipalities. And when we decided, Limanuel always ha- said he will bring Hamilton to Puerto Rico, just like he brought In the Heights to Puerto Rico uh, in 2011, the, the first uh, equity tour. Uh, to ever visit uh, the island. This time, the money was for the arts. Uh, In most recovery efforts, the arts are never a priority. Food, water, electricity, a roof over your head are the priorities. Uh, So we wanted to make sure uh, that whatever we made uh, in Hamilton was earmarked for art groups and artists in the island, and we were able to raise, and very proud to have raised, $15 million, uh, with the production.
0: And uh, John, the uh, experience of organizing the production becomes a focal point of the documentary. Uh, why that in particular? Because Luis has done so many different things. Did you feel that it embodied what Luis has been trying to do all his life?
2: I did. And I also felt like um, we wanted to really capture those 12 months after the heart attack and stay focused on all of the things that he was juggling um, in his life. And so it, you know, it seemed to capture the philanthropic spirit, not only of Luis, but of his family. Uh, you know, And it was, it was sort of a, you know, it was part of a set piece that was there for us, right? I mean, that was the difficult thing that you kind of, your, your question leads into is, is the production and keeping uh tabs on his schedule that was the nightmare quite frankly mm-hmm. you're just trying to trying to you know get an email that he's going to be on a flight at 8 p.m and can we join him and uh, you know it, it, we, you need a little bit more lead time if you're a legitimate production uh to staff up and uh you know and, and begin to follow someone with the right tools for the job but luckily we had a lot of people a lot of contacts on the ground um, local producers in puerto rico where we were able to move quickly. But um, that to me was certainly a uh, you know a sweeter side of the documentary. Those moments in Puerto
0: Rico. Well, but you also captured a lot of surprises and setbacks. Uh, Luisa was originally scheduled to be performed at your alma mater, the. Uh, University of Puerto Rico. Uh, Its theater had been seriously damaged by the hurricane, so it had to be repaired. And we see Lin-Manuel at the university announcing the production saying that there would be $10 tickets for locals with higher prices for tourists. Uh, Were most of the people uh, that you ran into appreciative of that?
1: Uh, People were. uh, You know, the, the bringing Hamilton to Puerto Rico uh, it's it's indescri- indescribable, you know. It's it's an island that was going uh, setback after setback, with people working very very hard uh, locally and with their allies in the diaspora and the U.S. and all over to move the island forward. And here it is the. You mentioned the greatest Broadway hit uh, ever uh, going and, to Puerto Rico and being performed by someone who had left the stage hmm. three years earlier.
0: But uh, this is where one of the first major surprises occurs. Uh, During the announcement, students come onto the stage to protest. They call Lin-Manuel a traitor and they carry a sign saying, our lives are not your theater. Why were they objecting to bringing Hamilton to the university?
1: Uh, They were not objecting uh, to bringing Hamilton uh, to the university or even to bring Hamilton to Puerto Rico. They were objecting to the fact uh, that my family, including Lin-Manuel, uh, supported Obama's position uh, to create a law that will allow Puerto Rico to declare bankruptcy and restructure its debt. And as part of that law, a board was created, just like New York did and other municipalities or states have done uh, in the past, but without this law, Puerto Rico could not declare bankruptcy, and the promissory notes that Puerto Rico had sold, could, the money could be taken, uh, and Puerto Rico then will totally go into into default. So we supported that law, and the end result, uh, in hindsight, were 2020. But the end result of having a fiscal control board is that cuts were implemented throughout, including cuts to the education of kids at the University of Puerto Rico. Uh, Needless to say that with all of the press being there for the announcement of Hamilton and LeManuel jumping back uh, to play Hamilton, it was an ideal situation. Uh, to let the world know uh, that this was happening in Puerto Rico. Uh, But didn't
0: also the University Workers Union members threaten to go on strike? Why were they against the production?
1: Uh, That was nothing to do with us. Uh, Hmm. The union was in negotiation uh, with the administration of the UPR. uh, And again, they saw this as an opportunity to create consciousness of what they were going through. At the end, they actually backed off and indicated that they were not going to strike. But by then, it was too late uh, for us to sort of move uh, the, the, the production out of the University of Puerto Rico uh, Theater.
0: Mm. So you went to the Performing Arts Center, uh, instead, John, I suspect you, you were surprised by all of this and thought, wow, I got a lot of materials for this film <laughs> that I didn't think I was going to get.
2: You're right. I mean, I've said it before. I think that's when we realized we had a film.
0: <laughs>
2: I mean, right. The theme emerges. Because you know, the conflict is, is so always hard. good in a movie, uh, yeah,
0: even in the right? unsinkable Molly Brown.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, you should know what I told JJ. The only thing that I have not given you is dying.
0: Uh-huh. You didn't die. Well, you had a heart attack.
1: I did, but but that was part of what was there. Uh, <laughs> but I could have died, too. And then he had a, a, a closure to a documentary. Well, uh, I mean,
2: in terms I'm of glad that it didn't ridiculous happen. scene, you couldn't have scripted it better. They announced at the theater that they're bringing Hamilton to Puerto Rico on an extremely ambitious timeline, 12 months. They walk around a corner into this massive auditorium, and then that scene happens so mm. clearly you know once once we were witness to that, we thought, well this is another layer of the man's story. Um, you know, the question then becomes how do we keep up with them
0: but okay, as I said, it was moved to another venue, the Performing Arts Center, which is huge I, I gather uh, how long did it run, and how many people saw it
1: uh, the, the, the venue, it's, it's, it's similar to the University of Puerto Rico, under uh, on, on 2,000 uh, people, and uh, we were there for three weeks. Uh, so uh, we had around 45,000 people uh, see the show. Uh, 25% of all of the tickets were earmarked uh, for people in the Island and were sold for $10. And then so there was, there was, uh, the, 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 rest of the tickets, uh, were regular price for Puerto Rico with very expensive philanthropic tickets, uh, to support the arts.
0: So how much did you finally raise?
1: We raised $15 million.
0: Whoa. But in the, at the opening night, there were people with signs calling for Puerto Rico to become the 51st state. Uh, what's your position on that?
1: Uh, you know, uh, Puerto Rico is going to have to decide what it wants to do uh, to get of its colonial state, because at the end of the day, it's colonialism. It's at the center of everything that happens uh, in Puerto Rico. Uh, And to do that, Puerto Rico really has to go through a process of self-determination where all of the options are looked at and Congress and the president uh, are working uh, with Puerto Rico and Puerto Rican voters to decide a final status. We're never going to get anything uh, with the Trump administration. That's why it's laughable. Uh, that the governor of Puerto Rico now, who is pro-statehood, will support Trump, who only has disdain uh, for Puerto Rico and for the Puerto Rican people. And the people protesting there, uh, they, as they said, they were not protesting. They were sort of bringing uh, the fact that there is 3.2 million American citizens uh, who can't vote and don't have the same rights that if they fly to Florida.
0: Wasn't this uh, at around the same time as the 2018 midterm elections uh, with you working for some New York's candidates like Letitia James for New York State Attorney General? Were you you traveling back and forth between New York and Puerto Rico a lot? I was.
1: Uh, But quite frankly, the most important thing that was happening in my life it was that my little one was applying to college
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, so your
0: adoptive child adoptive right. son
1: uh, and uh, and you know when Le Manuela lucecita applied to college, life was simpler uh, mm-hmm. now you know there are seventeen different <laughs> possible categories uh, from Early admission to probably you could come, but you don't have to if you don't want to category to many other categories. So that was the most challenging process uh, in addition to Hamilton and, and elections. But yes, it was all ha- happening at the same time.
0: And, uh, I and how is Miguel that- doing? What was that again? How is Miguel doing?
1: Miguel is a sophomore now. He is a very happy sophomore. He is back at Skidmore. Uh, <clears throat> three of his five classes are in person and two are online. And he is living in Saratoga Springs.
0: So uh, as we mentioned uh, around this time, you also had a heart attack. In fact, the film opens with you at your doctor's office, having a checkup a year later. Did the heart attack cause you to slow down?
1: Uh, It just caused me to be more mindful that there's a lot of food that I like and enjoy that I'm not going to eat. Uh, Uh I dislike doing exercise. I do it every single day of my life. And every morning I give myself an excuse of why something else is more important and I push that aside and get up and do exercise. And it makes me take some pills that I have to take so that I don't die sooner.
0: Have you been involved in any of the uh, current campaigns with the selection coming up in just a few days?
1: I have. Uh, I open my eyes and I begin to work uh, on independent expenditures for Joe Biden. Uh, and I fall asleep in the sofa after <laughs> probably looking at some digital ads uh, that are going to go on in Florida. I'm also very involved with the Latino Victory Fund, uh, which, inc- that its goal is to increase the number of Latinos in elected office. We're supporting around 75 candidates throughout the country. Uh, So I'm involved in many uh, of those campaigns.
0: And uh, as you mentioned, many Puerto Ricans moved to Florida. Florida had a large Cuban-American community, uh, which tends to be more politically conservative or has been in the past. So do you think that Latino voters are going to be a factor in the outcome in in swing states like Florida?
1: Uh, They are certainly going to be uh, an outcome. In states where we are a huge chunk of the voting population, why do you think that Trump finally said that he was releasing $13 billion for Puerto Rico? Because someone from his campaign said, you dummy, uh, which really doesn't take a rocket science, (laughs) uh, you dummy, uh, you keep... Doing bad things to Puerto Rico, there is an entire million people in that state that came from Puerto Rico. So he then announced 13 billion of 20 billion that Congress had appropriated in 2018. So he's still almost 7 billion uh, of that of that money. That's why he's so sad uh, to see people like the governor uh, of Puerto Rico to support someone and, and for her to go against her whole, whole, her own interests. But it doesn't matter. She's history. She'll be gone in December, and by January 10th, nobody will know who she was.
0: John, where can people see the film? I, I saw it on HBO. Uh, is, it, uh, as, is it offered regularly, or do you have to wait for it to be screened at certain times?
2: Well, you can now watch it exclusively. It's streaming on HBO Max. Uh, It aired on HBO uh, original content platform last Tuesday. And then this weekend, again, I believe, but HBO Max is the spot for it.
0: Mm -hmm. And um, how long will it be running?
2: Well, I, I, I assume that it'll be running in perpetuity uh, until uh, yeah. HBO decides to pull the plug on it. But one never knows in the age of, you know, in the absence of, of theatrical now, um, as, as plans from the big media companies seem to shift pretty quickly.
0: Now, the, the film does not look like a first film. So I'm assuming you want to make many more. Do you have another project in the works?
2: Uh, I've got two projects that are in pre-production now. And uh, the only thing that's holding them them back is is the virus, uh, which is, you know, keeping us uh, keeping us in one place for longer than we'd want to be. But uh, but yeah, that's 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 the plan. Uh, And certainly uh, this particular film was a kind of a springboard into into really wanting to tell stories.
0: And uh, congratulations. I really enjoyed watching it. That's why you're here, by the way. Uh, Thank you. And we thank you so much. Uh, Is there anything you want to add? Because we're pretty much out of time.
1: Uh, Yes, I want to make sure that I tell everyone who's listening to go and vote for Joe Biden.
0: Okay, well, you said it. I can't say those things. I I, Uh, I know
1: you can't. That's why you gave me the opening.
0: (laughs) And my great thanks to Luis A. Miranda Jr., the subject of Siempre Luis, uh, directed uh, by John James. Uh, They have been wonderful guests. It's been a real pleasure talking with you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: And that brings us to the end of today's show. Special thanks to segment producer Barbara Kahn, who prepared today's interview. If you're new to our program and would like to hear more, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes and anywhere anywhere. that podcasts are available. And there are links to all of our past shows on our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. And if there's anything you'd like to tell me about one of our shows, or if you'd just like to say hello, my email address here is LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I'd like to take just a few minutes to ask for your support for this station. If you care about Leonard Lopate at Large and all of the other great shows on WBAI, we need your help to keep it running. So I hope you'll step up right now and make a tax-deductible contribution at whatever level you're comfortable with by going to our website, give to WBAI.org, or by calling 516-620-3602 right now to keep the unique in-depth content that we bring you on this program alive on New York's radio dial. And and to be honest, we especially need your help to get back on our feet after this pandemic has had a devastating effect on WBAI's financial situation. A lot of people who were supporting us have uh, been forced to stop supporting us because uh, they're out of work or they're having other kinds of financial issues. So we're asking everyone who regularly tunes into Lended Low at Large and is financially able to step up right now by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 516-620-3602 516-620-3602 to help keep this show and the station on the air. And uh, many of your fellow listeners have already come through for us in this hour, Hour of Need. Listeners like Denise Joyce of Stuyvesant Heights, John Kramer of Pleasantville, New York, and Nancy McLarnon of Greenwich, Connecticut. Denise, John, Nancy, thank you so much for helping keep this 100% listener-supported radio station and Leonard Lopate at Large coming to you on. Uh, weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. One great way to show your support without having to lay out a lot of money at any one time is to become a BAI buddy, listeners who contribute $10 or more each month to keep the station running and to show their support for what we do on this show. A great way to spread out your support throughout the year while giving the station a stable base of support by having that monthly amount uh, deducted from your checking account, your credit card, or whatever uh, is easiest for you. please make that call one more time. 516-620-3602. Go to give2wbai.org. And please be sure to make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. And from all of us, thank you. We hope that you'll tune in again tomorrow when actor author Michael A. Fosberg will discuss his book, Nobody Wants to Talk About It, Race, Identity, and the Difficulties in Forging Meaningful Conversations. We'll see you then.